Just three hours northeast of Phoenix lies the little town of Holbrook. It's a simple enough place, with plenty of gift shops and historically significant places to stop and see. But if you stayed on the convenient Interstate 40 that runs directly through the town, you'd probably pass right on by without even noticing what Holbrook has to offer. It's also located on historic Route 66. So many people just pass by these small towns without giving them a chance. But it was this town, and others like it, that caught the attention of Disney animators back in the early 2000s. But what inspired John Lasseter and his team to cement this story in popular culture? Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm producer Thomas France, and today I'll be highlighting all the wonderful, real places that you can visit right here in Arizona from Disney and Pixar's Cars, from northeastern Arizona to the little town of Oatman, right on the border of California. Route 66 travels nearly 2,500 miles from Chicago, Illinois, all the way to Santa Monica, California. Coined the Mother Road by American author John Steinbeck, Route 66 has become a romanticized highway. Disney's creative team followed the route and drew inspiration along the way. From Cadillac Ranch, just outside Amarillo, Texas, to an old 1951 international boom truck in Galena, Texas, called Tow Tater. Bet you can guess what that inspired. My name's Mater. Mater? Yeah, like Tuh Mater, but without the Tuh. But many of these sites can be found right here in Arizona. I wanted to find out more about the actual history behind these movie locations. And for that, I turned to friend of our show, Roger Naylor. He's authored several books about Arizona and its history, including one specifically about America's Main Street called Arizona Kicks on Route 66. According to Naylor, we have a small town just west of Flagstaff to thank for the road's continued existence. Seligman is the story. Radiator Springs itself is kind of based on Seligman. Route 66 opened on November 11, 1926, and it was designed with two purposes in mind. It was meant to help the flow of commerce from east to west, but it was also meant to be an economic engine to the small towns it went through. That's why mm. it has that sort of meandering little route. During the 30s, it became famous for an escape for the uh, Okies and the farmers uh, in the Dust Bowl traveling to the promised land of California. During the 40s, a lot of troop transports because a lot of military bases and so forth were set up out west and stuff, so you were traveling a lot of uh, transports between men and equipment. But after the war, that's when it had its real heyday. America was back, the economy was booming, people were returning and uh, people were heading west for jobs or mm -hmm. they just wanted to travel. And so through the 40s and 50s and you know that era, the neon was blazing, it was beautiful. 
But as the old adage goes, all good things come to an end. During World War II, General Dwight Eisenhower noticed the efficiency with which the German soldiers were able to travel across Europe. Most notably, the famous Autobahn. This sparked an idea that Eisenhower would take with him into his presidency. He signed into effect the Federal Aid Highway Act, which started the construction of the interstate system. Suddenly, all these small towns that built themselves up alongside Highway 66, with their roadside attractions and gift shops and quirks, got bypassed. They were used to just this constant flow of traffic. Uh, I was told before in the uh, in Seligman, uh, 9,000 cars a day went through every day, 9,000. And after the interstate was completed, just south of them, you could lie down in the middle of Main Street for 15 minutes at a time without with people coming in. By 1985, US 66 was decertified. US 66 has been gone since 1985. Enter the town of Seligman. Angel Delgadillo ran a barber shop in Seligman. Amidst the town doing everything it could to survive, Angel insisted that Route 66 was the key. He traveled up and down the state, talking to business owners about his idea. Then, like something out of Hollywood, something magical happened. February of 1987, he called a meeting in the Copper Cart restaurant there in Seligman. Fifteen people showed up. They formed the Historic Route 66 Association of Arizona that day, the very first of its kind, and they began lobbying the state to try to have their portion of the old road designated as Historic Route 66. They organized letter writing campaigns and phone campaigns, and they just kept at it, and lo and behold, they succeeded. So a portion of that road was designated as Historic Route 66, and that became the blueprint for every other state to follow. Every other state formed their association lobby, their state to have it, and that's how it exists today. There is no Route 66, it's all Historic Route 66. We're the state that saved it all because of a barber in Seligman. Uh, that's why he's known as the guardian angel of Route 66. Angel's barber shop still exists, though Angel himself has stopped cutting hair. But despite being 95, he's said to still be as spry and full of life as ever, always willing to sit and chat with anyone who happens to stop by. I reached out to his family, but unfortunately our schedules didn't line up in time. Now, back to the movie. One of the most iconic locations from the first Cars is a real place that you can actually visit in Holbrook. Sally's Cozy Cone Motel, notable for being the place Lightning McQueen stayed at in Radiator Springs, was taken directly from the Wigwam Motel. Yeah, the Cozy Cone. It's newly refurbished. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a clever little twist. The motel's made out of caution cones. A semicircle of concrete teepees surrounds the welcome office and museum. This motel was built in 1950 by Chester E. Lewis, 
after he obtained the rights to the concept from architect Frank Redford. Mr. Lewis saw a wigwam motel back in Kentucky, and he thought this was this would be great for this new Route 66, you know, coming through town. So he asked the man if he could build a wigwam motel uh, like that, and uh, the man said, "Sure, yeah, go ahead." And Mr. Lewis said, "Well, how much should I pay?" And he said, "Nah, nah, don't worry about it. Don't." But he wanted to give him something, so he put uh, radios, pay radios, in each room and that cost a dime. He'd put a dime in and listen to the radio and all the dimes he collected out of those he sent to the man in Kentucky whose uh, idea came. But the main thing about uh, a wigwam is that you had to give travelers a reason to stop. You needed the kids in the back seat to be kicking the seat and, and yelling, stop here, we gotta stop here. Just a, a great old time uh, adventure to spend a night when you get to sleep in a teepee. It remains one of three wigwam villages still in existence. The others located in Cave Creek, Kentucky and San Bernardino, California. The founder of the fictional Radiator Springs was named after Holbrook resident Stanley Gallegos, owner and operator of Joe and Aggie's Cafe in Holbrook. Stanley sadly passed away in late 2020, at the age of 82, and the cafe, one of Holbrook's oldest restaurants, quietly closed down. The cafe building itself can be spotted in the Cars movie, with its distinctive step-down architecture. It might be hard to recognize, as the movie replaced the map of Route 66 on its outer wall with another famous Mother Road building from Galena, Texas. Head west out of Holbrook and follow Route 66, also I-40, and you'll see a huge billboard proclaiming, Here it is! This succinct sign, with a cute bunny picture, is the calling card of the Jack Rabbit Trading Post near Joseph City. This eclectic gift shop has been in operation for 73 years, ever since Jim Taylor bought the building in 1949 bringing with him the now famous fiberglass rabbit statue in the back of his convertible. When he moved to Arizona, everyone wanted pictures of and with the statue along the way. So when he arrived, Taylor set the rabbit on the ground so tourists could sit on it and take pictures. And the rest, as they say, is history. Disney took the iconic sign and added it to Radiator Springs. Instead of the jackrabbit on the photo, they put a jalopy. But that's one of the all-time great advertising campaigns in American history. Long before social media and stuff, uh, back in the, uh, uh, the day, there were signs all across the country. It went all the way across the country, and they would just be these yellow signs with a black drawing of a jackrabbit and mileage. And as you traveled west, the miles would tick down. They would get smaller, and the jackrabbit would get bigger and bigger and bigger, and the miles would get smaller, you get closer and closer, and, the and then you finally get to that sign, here it is, and there's a giant jackrabbit. So how could you not stop? How could you not pull over and experience the trading post? I spoke with Cindy Waquez, the granddaughter of Glenn Blancett, who bought the trading post from Taylor in 1967. 
Cindy now owns and operates the Jackrabbit with her husband Tony. She took some time out of her day to speak with me on the phone about seeing her sign on the big screen. Oh, it was crazy, you know. It came through here, I think it was in 2001, Michael Wallace and Pixar, left, I believe, they came through here. They came in, there was probably six or eight of them, and they were showing us all the drawings and how we were going to be included, and we were so excited. So when the movie finally came out, of course, Tony and I are the only ones running our store. We, we had nieces that were old enough to drive, and they were like six, 15 and 16, and so they took all of our, our three kids, yeah, our two kids and, and then a couple of nephews and nieces that are in our family. We bail wore the Jackrabbit t-shirts and Holbert kept the movie at the local theater. And so they all went to the movie theater. They said when the first picture of the site came up, we got a standing ovation. People started hearing and reading for us. And then all of a sudden, they were filled and people were calling us from all over the country saying, we saw you at the movie and you guys got a standing ovation. It's like, it didn't necessarily mean that we were doing better. It didn't help our business for business, like money-wise, but it helped to get the word out that we were here. And people understood who we were. People like know that Disneyland has their their cars land, they'll, they'll come here to buy shirts that with our here to sign and then they'll go to Disneyland and get their pictures by their sign away with our <laughs> with our t-shirts on. So it's, it's kind of fun to watch people get included through that. Just this side of the California-Arizona state line lies the cozy town of Oakman. Compared with other sites in this episode, it's a bit off the beaten path. Oatman is a former gold mining town that sits in the far western edge of uh, Arizona in the uh, the Black Hills, a very rugged stretch of highway with the and the most scenic piece of Route 66 on all, you know, everyone will pretty much agree with this because it's just to get up there, it's just a twisting, uh, turning, curving, winding hairpin curve. Oh, it's just exciting, thrilling, beautiful views to get up into the mountains to Oatman. The town itself is worth a visit with two free Wild West gun shows a day, and an historic museum on the second floor of the Oatman Hotel. But it's the town's residents that merited a spot on this list. Oatman is home to the wandering burrows. These donkeys are descended directly from the ones used by miners back when the town was first built. But once the mines kind of played out, uh, as miners do, they turned the burrows loose. They just let them go, say, you know, you're on your own, fend for yourselves. And uh, so these burrows were left to kind of forage on their own in these pretty hard scrabble hills, not easy uh, pickings. And this is the thing I love about the story, because the burrows, this this whole thing with the burrows and Oatman, it was the burrows' idea. It wasn't some <laughs> great plan by the Arizona Office of Tourism or the Oatman Chamber of Commerce. This was the burrows that came up with this, because, you know, there are out there chewing desert plants and cactus and dry grass, and one day, I guess one of them goes, well, screw this, I want carry out. So he wanders into town. And maybe somebody feels sorry for him, tosses a piece of a sandwich down or something. So he goes back, tells the rest of the herd, next day they all come into town looking for sandwiches, and it just evolved from there. So that's what happens every day now. These are wild animals. They do not live in town. They live in the hills. 
But every day, the burros will wander down from the hills and they will just stand around in the roadway blocking traffic, waiting to get fed. Now, it's never been confirmed that the tractors from the Cars movie were based on Oatman's burros, especially since they mooed and tipped like cows. But just like in the movie, the burros are known for wandering around town of their own accord, even walking right into random businesses, looking for treats from eager tourists. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Valley 101. Have you been to any of the places mentioned in this episode? Share your photos with us on Twitter at AZC Podcasts. We'd love to see them. If you have any questions about Metro Phoenix or beyond, please submit them to our podcast by visiting valley101.azcentral.com. If you're a fan of the show, please share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm producer Thomas France. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.